Thank you for giving us those few minutes to get all those little guys checked in downstairs. If you are an introvert, I am so sorry about the last three minutes of your life. But now you can sit in quiet and and listen. Here we go. Uh, This is the reading of Scripture. It's just one big verse that I'm going to read to you that we're going to press into. So this is from uh, the letter to the Hebrews. It's what we have as the last chapter and the first verse in that last chapter. It's only four words, so hear these with me. Let brotherly love continue. The word of the Lord. Okay, you can be seated. I get the... uh, It's baseball playoff time, right? So I can use a baseball analogy. I get the ball today. I get to throw. Before I begin, remember... Remember that there is no neutrality in listening to gospel preaching. There isn't any. Here's what we mean by this. Every sermon that you hear is going to end for you in one of two places. Either you will be moving a step closer to the heart of God and all that he is for you in Christ and all that it means to trust and obey him with everything that you have, or you will be moving a step further away. It's always going to be one of those two things. Sometimes those are huge, giant steps. I have preached sermons before and had people just look at me, shake their head like this a few times, and never come back. A giant step away. We have also had people step into this sacred time together, hear the preaching of Scripture, and come alive to God in a way that they had never before come to see and taste and sense His love for them in a way that they have never before. Sometimes it's big steps. Usually, it's just little baby steps, just baby steps. As you listen You either grow more open to God or more closed to Him. You are either a little more excited about the gospel or a little more bored by the gospel. You're either a little more willing to obey whatever the cost may be or a little bit more sure that like you've got a better plan for your life. It's always one or the other. And so I'm always praying for you during the week that the direction would be Godward. So just understand that with me. Gospel preaching is going to make a call on your heart. And now let me pray that you and I would be open to, even if it's just a baby step closer to the heart of God, that we would take it together. All right, let's pray for that. Father, meet us. This is a total miracle that we are in this room and not lost in our sins and super far from you that you have put in our hearts to gather with your people to sit under your word is a miracle, and we don't miss it this morning. So I pray in this brief time with this one verse of scripture that we would move closer to the heart of God. Would you hear my prayer for that and answer, I pray, amen. All right, here's the big idea that we're going to be going for together today. If you get this, I win. A gospel culture is not a trigger-happy culture. A gospel culture 
is not a, a trigger-happy culture. All right, story. Long time ago, a friend of mine was getting married, and I don't know why, but he decided that the start of his bachelor party was going to be a game of paintball. That was going to be the start of this. So we all had to meet up on Causeway Street. There was this paintball thing that had taken over the second floor of this old brick building, and we were going to shoot at each other. I had never played paintball before. I'm a city kid, so I had actually never held a weapon like that and fired it before. This was totally brand new to me. I don't even play video games, so I had none of the skills of, like, find the guy and shoot him. I was a novice, totally out of my league. But I love this kid. We were wicked close friends. We both grew up in Everett together. And so I was like, whatever we're doing, I'm doing. I'm in because I love you. So I get on the orange line. I go down to Haymarket. I walk over to the place. And uh, I walk in. I put on all the gear for a paintball. And they give me a gun and they teach me how to use it. And I have to pick out my colors for the bullets so they would know when I was successful. And then I proceeded to have... The worst 30 minutes of my life. It was horrible. Just picture 30 minutes of getting shot at from all directions. That was it. And paintballs hurt in an enclosed space. Seven or eight times I got smacked right off the head, right off, right off the, the mat. Boom. Just lifting my head. Boom. 29 minutes and 59 seconds into that, a horn sounded and the game was over. And I literally dropped the gun, took off the mask, walked out the exit doors, and I was like, I'll meet you at the place that we're having dinner. Finished. Why such a horrible experience? Why? It was no fun being in a space with a bunch of people whose primary disposition toward me was to shoot at me. Okay, news flash, in case you don't watch any cable news, and you don't scroll Twitter, and you don't have a water cooler by your place of employment, this is what our polis has become. This is, this is how we could say it. We live in a trigger-happy polis. Uh, do you know what I mean by the word polis or polis? That is the Greek word for city-state or for a collection of people who are trying to live together in a society, polis. This is where we get the word politics from, politics. And our polis, these United States of America, and our politics have become trigger-happy. Now, everybody saw a microcosm of this writ large last week with the Supreme Court confirmation process and the Kavanaugh-Ford explosion that happened. Everybody had their guns out. Everybody had their fingers on the trigger. Everybody's finger was very twitchy, just ready to shoot. I had three big reactions to taking this in with you. I don't know what yours were, but here are my big three ones. The first one was, because I'm a pastor... And my responsibility for your souls is to press gospel truth about everything was to say, hey, there are some important 
justice issues that we need to deal with in the life of our church to help you know how do I engage with something like the week that I just experienced. Uh, After the new year, we're going to spend some time doing that. We're going to preach some on the law of God, on justice, and how it is defined biblically. Um, Among other things, we will take some time to talk about the injustice of sexual assault and the injustice of any culture that emboldens it or just winks at it or just says, ah, boys will be boys, deal with it. We're going to preach on that. We are also going to preach on the injustice of false witness. Now, I'm not saying that that is necessarily what happened. I am saying, in general, as you experience this, you need to know, hey, what is false witness? And why are the scriptures insistent that a culture that emboldens and winks at and just says, ah, it's going to happen with false witness is also an unjust culture? So my first reaction in my mind was to like think on all of those things, and I hope that you are taking time to process some of that too. So we're going to do that with you, but that's not today, because my second big reaction was sadness at the way that Americans in this nation that God has given to us that we live in engage with each other. Think about it. Here was this crucial element of our political process, right? The the confirmation of someone who is going to serve us for a lifetime, helping to execute justice for all in the United States. And it instantly devolved into a paintball fight. That's what it became. And all anybody wanted to do was just to shoot at the other guy. And I was sad because I was like, this is not how... Society, civil, culture, a polis is supposed to connect with each other. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't truths worth fighting for, of course. I am saying that nobody wants to live in a culture where you can't even get half a sentence out of your mouth, boom, without having bullets come at your head. And that, unfortunately, is what American political culture is becoming. So I was saddened by that. And then flip the switch. My third response was excitement. And I got all excited again about this, about you guys and me giving ourselves to planting, building, growing a great church together. Here's why. Remember that Jesus said to us, you are the light of the world. And then he said, a city on a hill. One of Jesus's self-definitions for us as his people. That word city is the word polis. Somebody's listening to me. All right. It's the word polis. This means that the way that we live here together, don't miss this, the way that we live here together is supposed to be a light, a witness, a model, an invitation to all the policies of this world, including the cities of Melrose and Stoneham and Saugus, including the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, including the nation of these United States of America, of how God intends for people 
to live together. The church does not take her cues from American culture. We give cues to culture about how God intends for a people to live. And one of those cues is this. Here we go. It is possible for a people to live together in a way whose default rhythm is not shooting at each other, but is pulling for each other. We get to show the world that that kind of a community is possible. All right, let's move to the text and we'll hear that together. We finally got to the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. We've been learning through this one together since last September. Verse 1, the one that I've read to you, colors the whole final chapter. It's really an epilogue, like a P.S. Don't forget to be about these things together. And the engine that drives everything else we're going to preach on from now to Advent, the center of this whole thing is this command right here that I read to you. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. All right, a few things that you should feel when you hear these words. The first one is, if you're a Bible reader, you should feel deja vu when you see this. This is one of the commands to God's people, almost in this exact language that comes over and over and over again. Romans 12, 10, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, 1 Peter 1, 22, and 3, 8, 2 Peter 1, 7, 1 John 3, 10, 4, 7, 4, 20, and 4, 21. If you searched all of those scriptures, do you know what you would read in your Bible? Basically this right here. Let brotherly love define you. In other words, this is not an incidental command. This is central to what it means to be God's people, love. The second thing you should feel is the beauty of this command, brotherly love. Okay, everybody has heard this word before because it is the word Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the love of the brothers, the love of the family. It is a familiar love. It is the love of being close to someone and being for them. Um, You know the love that Jamie Kirtland has for her dog? Have you seen this on Instagram? That familiar love. You know the love that Ajay had for his Sunni Albany hoodie? You remember this thing? Five years this couple was in the life of our church, and every single time it dropped below 50 degrees, the kid had the same Sunni Albany hoodie on, the same one. He, was just, he just loved that thing. This is the love that Josh has for old hats. This is the love that you will sense in this church that people who just have an affection for something... That is this kind of of love. And not just a familiar love, familiar, right? That word family, familiar love. But also, um, this is a foreness. Philadelphia means pulling for, rooting for, being for someone as if they were family with you. All right, I don't know how to talk about this with you without talking about who? My brother, right? There's like no other way for me to help you to feel this so that it might define this. I got one brother. He's 15, young, 15 months younger than me, two inches taller than me. 
and his vertical leap was like 20 inches higher than mine. He played college basketball, and I was out there for one of his games, and he took a charge and got his chin ripped open, just like, boom, ripped open. So they just like band-aided it up for the rest of the game, but then after the game, he needed to get stitches from the team doctor. And someone came running out to get me in the stadium, and it was so cute, because we were like 21 and 20, and they said, hey, your brother's getting stitches. He was wondering if you could come and be with him. See, all the moms go, oh. <laughs> that is familiarity, right? His mom was in a, another state, so when he needed someone to be near him, who did he ask that could come and be there? Because he knew I would be there and I would be for him. It's actually a fun story of how he got his scholarship to this school. He was 6'2 in high school, and so no one recruited him. Then he was 6'5 by the time he started his freshman year of college in a D3 school, and he was the best player in this whole conference as a freshman. And so the coach at the college I was going to, which was Division I, was building the program and needed to connect with some players. And so his coach sent him his tapes, but then my buddy was the reporter for the school, and so he would interview the coach after the games. So I planted a question, and I said, you got to ask him how the recruiting process is going with James Cruz. So he goes into this setting, and he says, Coach Self, uh, we got some news about a kid named James Cruz from the Boston area who's thinking of coming out. Can you give us some information on that? and planted the seed with him so that it connected to the tape that he got so that interest began to grow in him. And obviously he had to show up in red shirt and dominate and practice and get on the team. But do you feel what happened right there? I wasn't hyping any old kid who wanted to come to the school, but my brother, I was planting information for him, for him, because I was for him. That's the kind of love that we are supposed to have for each other. Familiarity, forness. I'm not shooting at you. I want you to succeed. Let brotherly love. Okay, and then the last thing is this. This is hard. This is hard. By that I mean it is unnatural. What we experienced in the Kavanaugh-Ford thing, totally natural. We are all born with hearts that are proud and want to win and shoot the next person. That was easy to get on Twitter and drop bombs. Picking sides and firing bullets comes easy to the sinful human heart. This does not come easy. It does not come naturally. We are not built for this. Philadelphia does not flow downhill. This is work. This is why he has to say, what's the other big word up there? Let brotherly love continue. Continue. Why does he have to say continue? Because we are always in danger of stopping, of giving up, of moving from being for each other to shooting at each other. All right, so this word continue raises a massive question for us. Let's say that we were going to work together at obeying this and build a gospel culture of brotherly love in our church. Where do we get the resources 
to make this a reality? How do we do this? The answer is that our love for each other can only spring from an apprehension of God's love for us. That is the only spring that this can actually happen. Here's how we say it to you all the time. Gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. Gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. Zeroing in on all that God is for us in Christ changes the way that we relate together. Remember, our life together is never, so go do this first, never. It is always, so go believe this first. And the difference between that is the difference between one universe and another. We talked about this at the 101 class on Wednesday night. It was so awesome. We just said, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? And the immediate answer that we all tend to is to go, uh, it means you got to do some things and not do some other things. That's what a Christian is. So where's the code that I have to keep? Where's like the checkbox, the wonder list that I have to work down and when I've worked through the list, now I know I'm a Christian. What religious ceremony do I have to perform? Just tell me what I have to do. And the answer is, that's not what a Christian is. The real work has already been done for us in Christ and receiving it, believing it, is where we begin. And then everything else flows from there. It's the same thing with this. It is getting hold of the gospel, gospel doctrine, that will issue a change in your heart and make us look unlike trigger-happy America, make us look completely different. So this may be a counterintuitive way to end the sermon, but instead of telling you, so go love each other better than you're doing And here's my six tips for doing that. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to press on you the love of God for you in Christ. And if that thing takes a hold of your heart, you will naturally begin to say, of course I will be disposed with brotherly love toward my sisters and my brothers in this church. All right, there's a thousand places we could do this in Scripture. See the love of God on display Let's just model this for ourselves in John 3.16. Simple. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Okay. Let's just do the words. God. Whether you believe in him yet or not, whether you are there yet or not, this is the true and living God. This is the God who has given you every breath that you have ever taken, including like the first five or six in the hospital room when you were sucking for life, and the one that you just took now. It's God who has given you that breath. This is the God who spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. This is the God who thought up in his brilliance every color and texture and scent 
and sound that exists and has given you the capacity to enjoy them. This is the God who infused in this universe the ability for sunsets to happen and for you to see them and for dogs to exist and for you to touch them and for chili to exist and for you to taste it and for Bruno Mars to exist and for you to hear him. This is the God who is holy beyond all reckoning, whose perfectly just moral law is the standard by which you and I and all of us will be judged. This is the God who abounds in mercy and steadfast love, holding on to that love a thousand generations downstream for those who love him. This is the God who delivered his people from slavery in Egypt by splitting the Red Sea like he was stepping in a puddle. This is the God who tore down the walls of Jericho like he was breaking Legos. This is the God who is uncreated, unrivaled, untamed, unmatched, undeniable, enthroned in the heavens, and does as he pleases, the true and living God. That's this word. This God so loved. This verse could go in a million directions, and it goes in this direction. Please don't miss it. This God so loved. All right, let's work that little word so together. This is that little word that, like, raises the intensity. How could a little bitty word change so much in the room? That's this word. This is like if Grace and I are in a fight, and it's like a three on the Richter scale, like just routine marriage. But then one of us says a sentence like this. You sound just like your dad. Or you got that from your mother. Just that very little sentence, what happens? DEFCON 97. Do you know what that is? The children run for their bedrooms and get under their blankets. Things just got wicked serious with one little sentence. That's this word, so so, Roy is so into fantasy football. Do you feel it? Suzanne is so into hugs. <laughs> Have you ever got a hug from her? You got to get in like the, the, uh, the ninja panda thing, right? And tuck your gut in before she breaks something on you. Brian and Jamie are so into MIT. Have you ever mentioned MIT around them and see what happens to their face? They remember all their classes, even the numbers. Oh, that was class 73.27. That's how they do their classes at MIT. This is Judah Bita. Whenever he gets something new, have you seen him? He is so into it. Every Sunday in the hallway, Pastor Matt, look at this watch. (laughs) Pastor Matt. Look at these shoes. And then if you don't look at them, what does he do? He follows you around the whole building until you look at his shoes. He is so into stuff. We've got to deal with materialism with this child. But <laughs> Please feel this word. God so loved the world. 
Now, it is not a surprise that he would love. He is triune. He is the only God capable of creating a world of love because he is the only God who existed eternally as three persons in a perfect dance of love. So that God would love is no surprise, but that God so loved the world is a wicked shocker. Wicked shocker. This mass of fallen humanity humanity that has given him the hand that he would so continue, continue, continue to love. It's amazing that God does not spite the world, but that he loves it. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This doesn't mean that God was a father and his first creation was a son. It means that there's no one else like the son. He is unique in his relationship to the father. And he loved us so much that he was willing to separate himself from his son, that his son might give his life to win us back to him. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever, don't miss the broadness of that word. This is not the dangerous heresy of egalitarianism that's trying to flatten all of God's distinctions. This is the glory of God's gospel love for sinners that nobody falls outside of the scope of this love. No one is too far gone. No one is told, wait, 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 God's love is for most people, but you are much too dirty. Wrong color, wrong sex, wrong background. Your list of sins, you passed the limit, I'm sorry. Whoever, whoever, this means you, this means me. Whoever believes, believes, you can spend a day meditating on that word, it's a huge word. It means so much more than let's just like give a cent, right? So like who believes me when I say that if I was posting up John Turner, I would score 50 out of 50 times? Who believes that? You were all supposed to go, I do, because you're 6'3", and he respects you, so he's not going to like jab you too hard, and you just keep scoring on him. I mentally assent to that. If what has been said so far this morning is true, that God loved you in a way that caused him to give sacrificially his only son to die on a cross to propitiate his wrath for your sins to win you back to him. If that thing is true, we say it like this, the gospel requires much more than mild agreement. You either go all in or you don't go in at all. Those are the only two options with what's on the screen right here. Tacit acknowledgement does not cut it. You believe into Christ with all that you've got. When, when Grace and I were in college, we went to this lake thing that you could go swimming at and hang out with your friends. We had a barbecue with these kids from our dorm. And uh, there was this cliff twice as high as this church is. And uh, they, people would jump off of this into the water. Have you ever done anything wild like that? Sort of like a bungee jump, just no bungee, and you're hoping that the water is deep enough. So I'm not a big risk taker, which is weird for a church planter, but I'm not. So like 40 minutes or so, I was watching different people do this, and I was like, hey, he went in, and he came back with all his appendages, 
and then she went in, and she's got four arms and legs, and then he went in. So I watched about 37 people do this, and I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I walked over to this edge, and I looked down, and then I just had to make a call. And I just took off into the thin air of Oklahoma, and I sailed down toward that water. Boom. And I went deeper in water. You know, like you dive off a diving board in your friend's pool, and you touch the ground real quick? This was like way down. And then swam back up to the surface. That experience that trust, that going all in, that all that I had all the way into these waters, this is what gospel believing is. It is saying, no holds. I'm going all the way in. I'm going to believe that this is true for me, and I'm going to trust my life to it. Believes in him is actually believes into him. Uh, Gospel belief destroys aloofness. It destroys arm's distance. We bind ourselves to all that God is for us in Christ, all the way down. That's what matters to God. What matters to God is not how you stack up in comparison to other sinners. doesn't matter. It is not how good you are or how bad you are. What matters is, are you in Christ or not? That's what matters to God. And I love that because it means everything has been simplified for everyone. But it doesn't mean that you cannot remain cool and guarded and agnostic. If God so loved you that he gave his only son, that you believing in him would change everything, then believing is what we are called to do. And this is of such import that the broadness of this text gets very narrow at the end and he says we'll not perish but we'll have eternal life why did i start this sermon by saying to you at the end of my half hour you're either going to move closer or further away from god because those are the only directions that exist either toward or away from life this is the gospel god is pulling for has done everything he could for sinners to be saved. That's the gospel. And it is also the ground of the brotherly love that the Spirit is calling you to live out with me. It is no surprise that John, who gave us those words, gives us these words later in his letter. Check it out. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Can you feel gospel centrality in this command? God so loved us. That's what your pastor just yelled at you about for 10 minutes. That gospel doctrine becomes gospel culture. We ought to love one another. It blows my mind how many churches call for love but have stripped the gospel of all its orthodoxy. Leaves its people out there saying, I got to drum up love from some place of my own. We would never do that to you. You ought to love everyone in this room with a familial love because first you have been loved by God the way John 3.16 declares it. If this gospel is true, 
then we can do this together. We can let brotherly love continue. This is kind of the most no-duh command in the scriptures, right? If God is for us the way he is, of course we're going to be for each other. Of course. If God is pulling for us in Christ, how can we shoot at one another? All right, let's land the plane. How are we doing with this? When you see this verse, do you go, Seven Mile Road feels like that? Or do you go, Seven Mile Road feels like what I experienced last week? Is walking into this community like walking into a paintball battle on the second floor of Causeway Street and you're just immediately getting shot at? You leave worn down. You don't even really want to come back. Or are we for each other all the way down? Let's let that brotherly love continue. I would love for you to think of ways that that can be evidenced. I had one awesome way this week. I called McCann. He was like, yo, I can't talk. I'm on my way to the Red Sox game. I'm going with Paul. I was like, what? He was like, yeah. Uh, A client at work gave me two tickets, and I came home, and I was like, Laura, you want to go to the Red Sox game? They're playing the Yankees. And Laura's heart, it's amazing, is so filled with brotherly love, and she so knows that Paul is still possessed with the New York Yankees demon. We're trying to work that thing out of him. (laughs) That she says to Matt, hey, why don't you take Paul with you? You feel that? That's a stupid, silly little example of brotherly love. Pulling for someone else's joy and not for their own. Not saying, let's go, and I'm going to text Paul and show him the scoreboard at the end of the game. But how about if I give up my ticket so that my brother, who I know would love hitting a Red Sox-Yankees playoff game, can have a great night tonight. Do you feel that? I am pleading with you, pleading with you to build that kind of culture with us in the life of this church. That everybody that cycles through here or sticks with us for 20 years would say, I did not experience getting shot at. I experienced being rooted for, pulled for, cared for, loved. Let brotherly love continue. All right, let's pray for that together. Father, I pray that we would be a city on a hill, that sacrificial love, when we don't feel like it, would define Seven Mile Road. That brotherly love would continue and continue and continue and continue. Forgive us for our bullet shooting. Forgive us for our snarkiness with each other. Please forgive us. And I pray that you would light up Melrose and these cities and this state because of the way that Seven Mile Road lives together. Would you hear my prayer for that and answer? I pray, amen. All right, thanks for listening to that. Let it stir up in your heart. We're going to move now from the...